This is a podcast from the Business Times. But this year, you look like a loser because markets are up 20 something percent and you haven't generated that. And then you go back and say, what about 2021? You're a loser. 2020, you're a loser. 2019, you're a loser. So out of five years, you've been a loser for four years. And then you stretch that out to 10 years or 15 years, 30 years, and you're actually a big time loser. To stay invested or to not stay invested? That is the question. Okay, fine. So it's not quite what Shakespeare's Hamlet said, but it is the question to which we'd like an answer, especially since inflation seems persistent and global economic conditions look like they could worsen. Or not. Welcome to Money Hacks, a podcast series by The Business Times, where we explore useful financial tips to help you on your money-managing and wealth-growing journey. I'm Howie Lim. With us today is Samuel Ree, Chairman and CEO at Endowers. Sam, nice to have you back. Great to be here, Howie. We should get straight into it. Should one still be invested in the current economic climate? When we say that investing in financial markets, especially the stock market, our mantra is to stay invested for the long term. But investing is a very personal thing. So everybody has different circumstances, different levels of wealth or amounts of money they're investing, and different risk appetites, needs, and goals in which they're investing. It's very difficult to generalize. Overall, people should be invested over the long term because it increases your chance of success in reaching your wealth and your future financial goals in the current economic climate, which is interesting because what is the current economic climate? And I would say that we are in the middle of a slowdown in the economy, probably coming towards the end of a slowdown, coming to the end of a very high inflationary environment that was caused by COVID and supply chain disruptions. And in this environment, actually, the market hasn't done too badly this year. So last year was tough, but this year things are better. So I think you should remain invested in financial markets generally. Some analysts are saying those who stay invested will be rewarded. Really? And how? What is investing is really about taking risk. So investing is different from saving money. So that is from your income, you put that into a bank deposit or something, that's saving. Investing means that you're actually taking a step further and saying that, hey, I'm going to take a little bit of risk and invest in financial markets. And the risk expressed in financial markets is volatility. So the returns are volatile, whereas a fixed deposit is fixed. There's no volatility in that return. But because risk and return are correlated, if you take no risk, then you get low returns. If you take higher risk, then you should be rewarded for taking that additional risk with higher returns. And that's what investing really is. And I think the mistake people make is that if you invest like short term, that's not really investing, that's trading. And trading has a lot of risk. And so if you try to avoid trading and invest for the long term, then you should actually generate a return that is commensurate to the risk you're taking, the volatility. And long term, stock markets have given you 7 to 10% returns over 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 years. So I think that's what I mean by investing. It means that you're actually investing for the long term and going through the volatility of returns to generate the average return. And if you do that, then you will definitely be rewarded. Oh, so even when markets dive, it's important to keep investing. 
Most people think that an investment objective should be like, I want to maximize my returns or I want to get a 20% return. That's not an investment objective. The reason people should take risk and invest for the long term is because we have important financial goals. So liabilities that we have in the future, things like retirement, for example, is a massive future liability or a future financial goal that we need to achieve in order to live a normal life. Like for example, buying a house, we have to save money up, invest in the right way because we have a goal of wanting to buy a house for our family or our children's education. So these financial goals is what should drive your investment decision-making and your asset allocation and everything else that is involved in investing because it determines how much risk you need to take because risk is correlated to returns and what returns you need to generate to achieve that future outcome or future goal. So if you think of it from that perspective, not from where you are and how much you need to generate, but you start at the end and walk backwards and say, hey, I have this goal of buying a house for retirement, and I have this amount of money, and I have this level of income that I'm making every month. And so every month, how much did I save and invest? And how much risk should I take to generate the returns I need to achieve that goal of buying a house by 35, you know, retirement by 65 and everything in between? You know how we've talked a lot about how the risk averse must feel so pleased with themselves in this high interest rate environment. What's your advice to them? It's a behavioral thing, right? And there's a whole field of economics and finance that has developed called behavioral finance and behavioral economics, because in the end, we are human beings. We're driven by emotions of greed and fear. And our behavior is actually what determines our actions. Our emotions drive our actions, and that's behavior. So when you say that we're risk averse and you know you don't like talking about risk, it should be the other way around. We should actually talk about risk a lot more and understand what risk is and make it your friend because risk and returns always go together. Many people are saying that they feel vindicated because they were risk averse, they didn't lose any money last year, and interest rates are higher now. But there is a, a level of self-deception because the reality of being risk-averse and not investing in financial markets means that you are actually generating high interest rates in a high inflation environment. With inflation at 6% plus in, in Singapore, although it's come down, it's still 4%. Returns in fixed deposits or low-risk portfolios have been very low and below inflation. If you look at what happened last year, then you feel like a hero because you didn't lose money and everybody around you lost money. But this year, you look like a loser because markets are up 20 something percent and you haven't generated that. And then you go back and say, what about 2021? You're a loser. 2020, you're a loser. 2019, you're a loser. So out of five years, you've been a loser for four years. And then you stretch that out to 10 years or 15 years. 30 years, and you're actually a big time loser because over 10 years, you would have probably doubled your money. Over 30 years, you would have probably 10x your money if you just done nothing and invested in financial markets, globally diversified, passive investing, just getting the market returns. Still to come, how to factor inflation and recession as well into our investing strategies. Lens on Singapore a monthly podcast series from the Business Times podcast team on current affairs, societal issues and government policies explored through the lens of how it impacts us here in Singapore and in the region. Anchored by Clarissa Montero and Howie Lim, every third Monday of the month. And now, back to Money Hacks from the Business Times. 
Inflation is still top of mind for many. Even though at the time of recording in early August, it looked like the Fed might finally stop hiking rates, but you never know. So Sam, what are the top things to know about beating inflation? Interest rates move with inflation. If inflation rises, you try to curtail that with high interest rates. You have a high interest rate environment because there is high inflation. And then when inflation falls, you go back down to the 1% or 0. something percent yield. So when we're thinking about inflation and trying to beat it, you're trying to find things that are going to be better protector of value either great assets that generate good returns, like great companies, for example. Great companies should, even in an inflationary environment, generate good earnings because they have pricing power, they have products that people like, and they can actually raise prices and defend their margins. So two things I would really summarize investing in an inflationary environment is that you need to understand how big of an enemy inflation is, how it eats into your purchasing power. Inflation eats into your returns like crazy. But the other side of that is that you need to make time your biggest friend because the only way to beat inflation is through taking a risk in markets. And if you just invest long enough, every single year on average, some years it's up, some years it's down. Sometimes it beats inflation, but sometimes it doesn't. But over a long period of time, it always beats inflation. So that's the most important lesson I think we need to have is that equities, which is not just a random set of risky assets, it's actually the best companies in the world that have gone through a phase of growth that are profitable and have listed in a stock market. And the index that people have created ranks the best companies at the top. So you're buying the financial market, but the list of the best companies in the world And therefore, that asset is actually able to generate a return in excess of inflation. So that's why investing in financial markets and equities in particular over the long term beats inflation and makes sense. You talk about good companies, Sam, which I assume have, you know, the good balance sheets, fundamentals, pricing power, like you said. But aren't good companies a bit price prohibitive for the retail investor, though? Yeah, so that's a, that's something called valuation. And people use valuation a lot when they decide when to buy, when to sell. And then they say that, hey, this is the valuation of the overall market as opposed to a single company valuation. But if you look at the history of financial markets, there's never been a case where valuation in and of itself has been a catalyst to begin a rally in the market or define the end of a financial market. So there's no marker which says, hey, at 20 times earnings or five times book, the market will crash or this is the peak of the market. And there is no bottom where they say, oh, 10 times earnings or one times book is the floor. So this is when we should buy. That has never worked in the history of mankind. So valuation is a gauge to understand what is the true value And then comparing different companies and different sectors and different geographies and saying, hey, China looks a little bit cheaper than US right now. Like, for example, the financial sector looks really depressed in valuation. So maybe we should take a look at it. Or Facebook or Meta, as it's called these days, has underperformed and the valuation gap between Meta and Amazon or Tesla, for example, is widened significantly. And maybe we should buy the value trade here. Those kind of, I think, references to valuation are very valid. But I don't think we should ever say, hey, the market is very expensive because the valuation is a result of many different inputs, including inflation, including growth, and including what other alternative investments we have, as opposed to investing in this company or this market. 
from that perspective, valuation is an important marker, but never the most important marker to look at when you're investing. All right. What about a recession then? Lots of buzz surrounding that too. Great question. And recession is something that is on everybody's mind. But oftentimes, there's a reason why we say stock markets and financial markets are a leading indicator. What I mean by that, it's it's a leading indicator to the reality of what the economy is doing. When we talk about a recession, it's actually talking about an economic recession. When we talk about financial markets, it's a correction or a bear market and stuff like that. So a recession is an economic event. And economic activity, the data is collected and it takes a long time to collect those data. So when we find out that there was actually a recession, it's normally way after the recession actually happens. So for example, 2020 COVID hit the economy. You can see that we're going into a massive recession. There's negative growth, but the data to confirm that doesn't come out until the recession is already over and the financial market has already bottomed and has started rebounding and is on the way up. Then people say, oh, actually that was a recession. So the problem is that the information doesn't flow and it's not timely. And that's why the market is actually a leading indicator. And the market at any point in time reflects all the known information and the market participants, which include professional investors, you know, really bright hedge fund managers, they claim to be, or market participants like the individual retail investor. But everybody, millions of people are in the market reflecting their views based on the information and data and experience that they have. So the recession normally happens, like there's been 12 recessions in the US since the post-World War. The average of that is during or before or after a recession, the market corrects. So the market falls at a certain time because people are either worried about recession or they've announced a recession or COVID happened and, and everybody sells and the market goes down 20%. But we don't know when that happens. Sometimes that happens before the recession even begins. Sometimes it happens during the recession, especially if it's a drawn out recession. And sometimes the market cracks after the recession and doesn't do anything. So if you look at the average, the market doesn't really do anything before a recession. It falls at certain point, but doesn't do much during a recession. And then after the recession, it rebounds very sharply. So if you use that data and say, what should we do during a recession? The answer is we should hold still, ride the recession out because we don't know when the bottom of the market is. And normally we are out of the market at the bottom of the market. The only way to pick the bottom of the market and be invested in the financial market when the market starts turning and goes back up again, which invariably it does, is if you stay invested. It happened in 2020 during the COVID crisis. It happened last year. No one predicted the bottom accurately. And if you had stayed out of the market or worse, you sold at the bottom, then you would not have enjoyed the rebound that happened in 2020, not the rebound that happened in 2023. So that's what recession investing actually is about. We need to like stay invested even through a recession. You know, you'd think we'd have learned that lesson after so many crises and cycles. It's the same with buying things, right? You get them cheap, you sell them marked up. What about that adage, buy low, sell high, and other such sayings? I know it's hard, and relatively few can practice that because fear so often gets in our way, like you said, especially during a market downturn. Buying low means that you're buying it when the markets are not good. And you're selling high means that you're selling it when things are actually good. So it's actually almost like contrarian investing. It's very difficult emotionally 
And again, I go back to this behavioral finance because people find it very difficult when the markets are falling to buy in the market. Many people call this catching a falling knife because it's often very painful and it's very difficult to do. And almost nobody actually does it. So the way to succeed in being a contrarian investor or buying low and selling high is actually to continue to buy and stick to a plan of purchase during a downturn. So when the market's falling, I'm going to remove all emotions. I'm going to actually every month set aside this money and invest, let's say $100 or $1,000, whatever you're capable of investing. And I'm going to just stick to the plan because eventually the markets turn around and it will go up because the markets always do. And so I'm going to like stick to this plan of regularly saving and investing. It could be every week, it could be every month, whatever works for you and keep investing because that's the only way to catch the bottom. It's the only way to buy low and to stay invested as well. So ultimately, it is unwise yeah, to keep your money out of the market, even though it looks scary. A lot of people panic and do sell at the bottom. It's an emotional response. I've done it in the past as well when I was younger. The worst thing you can do, let's think about the most recent experience in 2018 when the Fed hiked rates decently rapidly and the market fell. And we had almost a 20% correction, which is a threshold for a bear market as we define it. In 2020, we had a COVID crisis where the market rapidly fell in one month, more than 20%, definitely in a bear market scenario, almost 30%. And then last year, 2022, from a high point, the market corrected more than 20% again. It's the first time in history that we've actually had a 20 plus percentage correction in financial markets in three out of five years. It's very rare that markets actually fall this much. First of all, yes, the emotions are very real. It is scary when markets are falling rapidly. But as you stated correctly, we should learn from history and say that the markets over the long term, if you stay invested over decades, generate 7% plus returns, which is way above inflation through the cycle. And the most recent experience of bear markets in 2018, 20, and 22 suggests that the right thing to do when markets fall is actually to continue buying. That time in the market and not timing the market is what actually drives the long-term returns. Because if you take your money out at any point in time, you're not going to generate the market returns. The average returns are the average returns because you stayed invested over that whole period. If you tried to select it and time the market, you probably would have done worse than better than the market. Of all the empirical data that we have is that human beings actually make worse decisions and do not time the market well. So being in the market and time in the market is actually behaviorally the highest chance of success for individuals. Sam, always a pleasure. Great to be here. Samuel Ree, Chairman and CIO at Endowas. Till next time, I'm Howie Lim. This has been Money Hacks from The Business Times. This is a podcast by The Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.